You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Guys, I'm going to do my best to get through where we are at as a church and to bridge uh, from what we've heard tonight into what this means for us as a church because we continue a new series called What I See Shapes Who Will Be. That's, uh, that's, your, that's your little catchphrase that you can take home in the car. That's your little um, pocket phrase that you can have uh, to be saying to yourself as we move into this new season as a church. What I see shapes who will be. What I see shapes who will be. You see, because the degree to which we get the gospel is the degree to which healthy ministry flows. And haven't we just seen that? The degree to which we see the love of God and who he is is how healthy ministry flows. Now, one of the funny one of the funny things that have popped up as we've been talking about you know, setting the framework for our vision as a church and moving forward is people have been saying, you know, well, why talk about change? I mean, Northside's going well. Uh, there's, there's good stuff happening. Uh, it's been good under Graham. It's, it's going all right under Sam. Uh, <laughs> why do we need to change? Uh, I think my answer to that is the Ken Lee principle. Um, Ken Lee, uh, this young lady called Valentina Hassan was a contestant on Bulgarian Idol. And so she did this audition on Bulgarian Idol. I don't know, anyone seen this on YouTube? And so she uh, sung this wonderful song for three minutes and the challenge was it was neither in English nor Bulgarian. Uh, the chorus uh, for her went, Ken Lee, Dilibadibadachu. And the judges were a bit perplexed in what was going on. And uh, they're thinking, what, what is that song? Uh, they, they said, don't you mean Mariah Carey's Can't Live because living is without you? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And so she sings this song, Ken Lee Deliberative Without You. And, and, <laughs> and it's not Bulgarian, it's, it's, it's nothing. And here's the principle. If you aim at the form, you will never get function. But if you aim at function, then form will overflow. You see, she sat there by the radio and she's trying to mimic all the words and, and yet it just came out gobbledygook. She didn't understand the language underneath it all. And guys, that, that can be the challenge for churches when they move into these seasons of vision. They, they can lead their vision. They look at all the amazing things. That, oh, that church does mission well. We should just copy that. That church does community really well. We should just copy that. That organization does human trafficking really well. We should just copy that. But when you do that, what you're doing, you're kindling the vision of our church. The liberty of you. <laughs> and that's why we're doing this series, because it's not change for change sake. We've got to understand why we're doing this stuff, right? We've got to understand the function underneath it all. That, that, that basically, the, the question we have is how clear are we on the function, not the form of the church? Instead of being aiming to be a worship-centered church or an outreach-centered church, or a mission-centered church, or a teaching-centered church, what if we were a gospel-centered church? Because if you're a gospel-centered church, all of those things flow and integrate from who we are. Now, we learned last week, if you're gospel-centered, then a number of ministry front, fronts emerge. You see that God connects you to others, and we're going to talk about that tonight, that God connects you to the city, that God connects you to the culture around you. But the question that we're going to look at tonight is, how does the gospel form community? Because when we see biblically, the gospel should create a community that is attractive to the world. Attractive? Why would it be attractive to the world? Has anyone ever seen here seen Big Brother on the television? Anyone seen Jerry Springer on the television? Not many hands. Is it because you haven't seen it, or you don't want to admit that you watch Big Brother or Jerry Springer? 
Okay, on place of vulnerability here, I'll share, I've watched it. And for me, what is it so flippant intriguing about those shows? You just can't help but pull yourself away from it. And I think part of what gets us so excited about these shows is you witness the breakdown of community. There's always um, gossip and there's always back chat and there's always politics and someone's voting someone out and someone's smashing someone and that's just entertaining if we're willing to indulge in all of that. But I guess the question is, is it me or do we live in a world where community and relationships are constantly tearing themselves apart? You think about it, you think about your workplaces, think about your families, think about the friendships that you've got. We live in this world where we so desperately want, we so desperately need community, but it's so hard to keep. And what hope for us is there in all of that? Well, enter Jesus Christ and he comes down in its first century Palestine and he, he, he gathers the whole, this ragtag bunch of Palestinian teenagers and he puts them all on a hill and he says to them, oh, you're the light of the world. You're going to be a city on the hill. And you know what happens? They turn the world upside down. They create history, these young guys. How? It's because, look, Jesus, when he came to the world, he didn't leave a book. He left a community. Because he knew that if he came in and, and, and he just left all of his t- teaching, then they would just go on replicating that. But if he came in and he did life with these guys and he left a community behind, then they'd create a book anyway. And so Christian community is modelled on the life of Jesus. It's modelled on what he did. He didn't come in and say, guys, I've got some stuff to teach you. It's from God. Okay, I'll meet you at three till six in the classroom. Once you've done all your fishing and the rest of it, I'm going to impart some information on you and it's going to change the world. No, he, he didn't teach like that. He said, come eat with me, do life with me, wrestle with me, struggle with me. Um, let, 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 let's talk, let's work this through. He modelled community. And so when Jesus gathers all of his followers together, and puts them up on this mountain and says, you, you're, you're a city set on the hill. What he's saying to them is, I'm going to create a community that's going to be my special, chosen, distinct people whose good and visible deeds are going to show the world how life is meant to be lived. And it changed the world. Why did it change the world? Why is it compelling? Now, because you think about it, if you know someone who's, you know, those holier than now type people, you know, those, oh, man, they are, they are so good at doing the Christian life, you feel horrible and they're just exceptional. You just think, man, how do, they, how do they live that sort of life? I mean, by themselves, people like that are pretty daunting, right? In fact, they could turn you off. But an exceptionally loving and beautiful and diverse community, that, on the other hand, that's attractive. And so that's why we've often said that phrase, that the quality of our community will be the secret to our mission. The way that we come together and we show that how love and money and sex and power, when they are subordinated to the things of God, actually are good things that can be used for his purposes. And it's attractive to the world. And so the gospel creates a community, an alternate city on a hill, an alternate city within a city that's to be attractive. And how? It's the the upside-down nature of the gospel. How does the upside-down nature of the gospel create this community? Here's the first thing it does. It creates relationships of service rather than self-interest. Now, why is community so hard to keep? From a worldly perspective, it's because most community eats itself from the inside out. Think about it. Think about the way that people are backstabbing at work. 
Think about when your friends gossip. Think, think about the, the things that you've got to do just to keep these groups together. And the syndrome is this, that outside of the gospel, you come into any group situation, any community situation saying, how is this group going to meet my needs? How's this group going to work for me? How's this work team going to help me advance? And so community breakdown, that, that, that's just the leaves of the weed. The root of the issue here is self-interest. Inherently self-interest about your desires. And so the question is, what makes Christian community any different? Or how, how does Christian community not end up like that? And the way to think about it is that the Christian community is the only club, if you want to call it that, that exists for the benefit of non-members and their guests. And so when you come, it means that if what we see shapes who we'll be, the question I've got for you tonight is, how do you see our community? You see, the moment that you and I have thought and we come into this place and go, I'm not sure that the church is meeting my needs, <laughs> then, then we've got a, weeds are starting to grow. <laughs> you, need, you need to apply the gospel like a weed killer to your heart. And of course, look, we're going to have our own personal preferences. We like styles of music. We like certain groups. We like certain, certain things we want to be doing as a church, different activities. But the minute that you and I let personal preference become the basis of our sense of connection to God's community, we've lost the plot. And I mean that in two ways, by the way. We lost the plot up here, but we've, we've lost the plot line of God. That, that the gospel is that Jesus is broken into the world and he's creating this community, this alternate city on a hill to show the world how life is meant to be lived. And that, that the only reason that these relationships here are unraveling is because your relationship with him is unraveled. And so the result of the gospel is that relationships in community are based in service, not self-interest. Here's the other thing. Uh, the gospel creates relationships of difference, not sameness. In other words, the gospel causes you to get along with people you would never have got along with. There's this great study in Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch. You know, Antioch had like a population density about one and a half times that of Manhattan back in its day. It was one of the largest cities in the world. And the, the creator, the designer, the architect of Antioch had a really good idea. He, he actually built in all of these different walls into Antioch so that he could keep all the different ethnicities away from each other. Because even back then you knew if you got a whole bunch of different ethnicities in the one place and they start fighting each other. There's all these differences. They start going at each other. And so then along comes this thing called the gospel via these messengers called Paul and Barnabas. And they go down to Antioch. They preach the gospel. Guess what happens? People are jumping the walls to start doing church together. <laughs> and the people in Antioch, they don't know what the heck this thing is because everyone's jumping over the walls. You're not supposed to do that. And so they gave them a nickname. They took the, the Greek prefix Christos and the Latin suffix Ians and they gave them a nickname they joined the two and they called them Christians and the gospel comes in and it causes you to get along with people you'd never get along with so when Jesus says you are a city on the hill what he's saying is that we are to be an alternate city within the city an alternate mini Sydney. Now, what would that look like? I mean, if it's an alternate Sydney, we'd have some Lebanese and Asians and Italians. You'd have executives. You'd have housing commission. You'd have blue collar. You'd have white collar. Can you imagine a church that looks like that? In fact, I had a church that looked like that this morning. As I sort, you know, sat there over a coffee talking to an executive, ex-Macquarie Bank guy. 
And there in the background was another one of our family that comes from Housing Commission. Can't you see, church, God, God's already starting to do a bit of this. It's already starting to happen. And so wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? It is happening. How Peter best explains it, he says, he calls the church, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, a Haggai ethne, you know what that means, of course. <laughs> um, a holy ethnic you know, a, a different ethnicity, a different culture. He says that the work of the gospel is so powerful and so life-changing that you no longer act like a club anymore. You see, you go to a tennis club, all you've got in common with everyone else is you play tennis. And once you've finished playing tennis, you go home and that's it. But the dynamic of the gospel when it comes into your life is so different, so life-changing and so dynamic that you're not just a club, we're not just here because we've got a common self-interest uh, in Jesus Christ. No, we're, we're here because he's changed a whole new culture. And what it means is when you come into that culture, the gospel humbles you in the most mightiest of ways. It means, like I always say, that we are Christian first, you know, Aussie second. You are Christian first, Asian second. Christian first, Indian second. You are Christian first, blue collar second. You are Christian first, white collar second. You get what I'm saying here? The gospel so changes you that it creates an entire new Haggai ethne. And what it means is the gospel humbles us and affirms us. It gives us a new identity. And here's how it practically works. It brings you together with people you would not ordinarily do life with. And until you see that, until you see the upside downness of the gospel, of this, this king that is dying for you, this God that says, I am not making any distinctions with you, on the basis of yours and my relationship, then and only then can you go to someone who's radically different and say, I'm not making any distinctions either. You catching this? The, the gospel allows you to get along with people you would never get along with. And so the sign of a healthy church, church, is that you're able to look around someone to, around the, beside you, behind you, in front of you tonight and think in your head, you know what? There is no way that we would be doing life together tonight unless we both knew Jesus. It causes relationships that are different. It causes relationships that are based on service rather than selfishness. And the gospel, here's one other thing it does. It creates relationships of accountability, not individuality. You see, when Jesus says you're a city on the hill, you can imagine the imagery. He could have been there uh, repeating his statement with his guys over the campfire and at night they're looking over the Sea of Galilee and he would have seen all the cities just on the horizon. What I realize when I'm reading through this is that it's, it's very hard to be a city by yourself, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> there are lots of lights, they all twinkle, it's big, it's vibrant, it's dynamic. And so often we read this Sermon on the Mount way too individualistically. It means that you, you meant to do this Christian life in, in community. And in fact, I'll go as far as to say you can't do the Christian life apart from community. And here's why our character, we learned this in the wisdom series, our, our character is shaped by most who we hang around, those that we do the most life with. You know, my dad always used to say to me, son, if you want to soar like an eagle, then don't fly with the geese. <laughs> Didn't know what that meant when I was 13, but it sounded pretty cool. Now I do know what it means, and that is we are formed by those that we most hang around. And isn't that your challenge? You know, when, you, when you are spending 60 hours a week, a bunch of whole bunch of, bunch of people that are ripping themselves apart, <laughs> yeah, how does that not rub off on you? How does that not begin to form you? 
And so you cannot change who you are unless you come into this dynamic thing we call community and you allow it to shape you. You cannot change until you come into this thing and you lose your individuality for the sake of community. What that means, you've got, to do, you've got to do the one another's together. You've got to love one another, talk with one another, confess sin to one another, hold each other accountable, consult, learn, study until your relations get that deep and your relationships get that supportive and that transparent and that vulnerable. Then we're not going to change. There won't, there won't be life transforming. You won't begin to look any different from the world around you. You won't stand out. You won't be a city on the hill. In other words, and only until you become gospel-centered will you form deep community, but only in deep community will you become gospel-centered. What it means practically for you tonight is this. To what degree are you willing to come under community? And even more practically under that, it's not enough just to sit in church, to come and to attend. You've got to get deep. You've got to do relationship. You've got to process. You've got to wrestle. You've got to talk through with someone what it means about what you've just seen and you've heard tonight from Cecilia. The, the passions of your heart, it's stirring. Should I do something? Should I not do something? Should I fight? Should I not fight? You've, you've got to be doing community. <laughs> and so the gospel creates these relationships of accountability, not individuality. And so if relationships, as we finish tonight, are always falling, falling apart, where do you get the power to do this? How do we keep this thing going? How has this thing kept going for thousands of years? I mean, some of you, Mike said it tonight in the SMH, we've, we've seen the tragedy of what happens when the church is not the beautiful dynamic thing that Jesus intended it to be and it's still visible to the world, right? I think that's half our problem, church, is that we have no reputation left. We want to be the city on a hill, but... It's so difficult in the context that we're in. We see churches that are full of politics and of self-interest and bickering. I mean, heaven forbid if you've had to be one of those sorts of churches. And I thank God that we minimize that sort of stuff here. We ain't perfect, but there's a good thing happening here. And so uh, the, the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, said, unless we've truly experienced the gospel, everything we do is out of self-love. And so what that means practically is saying every relationship you do is out of self-interest before you hear the gospel. You're always saying, what can I get out of this? How can I meet these people? How can I do this? How might they help me there? We, the world calls it networking. <laughs> but really, see what you're doing. It's, it's all out of self-interest. And yet the gospel is we see suddenly this king dying for his enemies. This king coming in to be a servant and not just for them, for you. And when you, when you take that in, and when it sinks into the depths of your heart, you know what that gives you? It gives you value. And doesn't Jesus go on to say that in chapter 6? You know, we're in chapter 5, chapter 6. What does he go on? He says, don't worry. Don't worry what you eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. He says, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the sparrow. Look, look at the way God is looking after all of them. And then, are you not far more valuable than them in his eyes oh you of little faith you see the, the, what jesus shows us and the gospel shows us is when you are of infinite value to god and when you come from that position no longer do you do the religious thing because we hate religion in this church as much as everyone else you don't have to be a non-christian just to hate religion we hate it too because you, you know what religion says religion says you've got to do all the good stuff to earn the value 
Christianity says you received it up front and what Jesus Christ has done. Now live out of that. And what that means practically is if you are a person who is always trying to earn your value, you're always going to be driven by and dictated either by, by the need for approval in, from everyone else or the need for superiority over everyone else. You've seen those sorts of people? They're unattractive people in the life of church. But when the gospel comes down and says you are God's treasured possession, that there is value in and of yourself, then no longer do you need to make distinctions in order to feel superior. No longer do you, not, no longer do you dissociate with people in order that you don't feel inferior because, wow, you know, they're too fantastic for me to deal with. But wonderfully... You now no longer begin to love people for your sake. You finally love people for their sake. That's the nuclear fuel rod that is the gospel. Outside the gospel, we're either confident if we're achieving and doing things or we're humbled if we're failing. But in in the gospel, we have this new self-image that produces this bold humility where we can finally love people for who they are. That's, how, that's the nuclear fuel rod in all of this. And so, guys, we've talked we've talk community a fair bit, haven't we, in the night service in particular? You know, we're trying to stitch together this church in a lot of the fundamentals of this teaching. And what I love about this congregation is we begin to model that. That, that, that the rest of our church has been looking in at the diversity and, and, and the difference and the way that we are getting along with people that we shouldn't be getting along with. <laughs> but that's the wonderful beauty of what the gospel does. The purpose of Jesus' salvation is to create an alternate city within the city, a new community that is a sign that Jesus Christ is Lord of the world. We saw one tonight. And we, we, we pray for Cecilia and all that she does. as She seeks to be salt and light and continue to push back the darkness. And for you and I, friends, have we grasped the gravity of of what Jesus Christ is calling you and I to in this place. We're not winning, but it's only half time. And so the degree to which you see the gospel clearly, a king dying for his enemy will be the degree in which your relationships are changed, that you will begin to form community, a distinct, a different community, a city on the hill where relationships are based on service, not self-interest, where their relationships are different, not the same, where their relationships of accountability, not individuality. That's what, that's, that's, that's what it's supposed to be, but it will only happen if you do this, if you remind yourself that what I see is who will be. Let's pray.